Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you and to worship with you. We're starting a new sermon series this morning, and we're really going to be reflecting on this question, what is the kingdom of God like? And you can see there's two pictures behind me that Amy Conwell and team created for us to have a visual representation of the parables that we're going to be going through. You can see here, there's a parable of the sower, and we reflected a little bit about that on Ash Wednesday as we began our Lenten journey. And today is a, a, a depiction of the parable of the mustard seed. And so those are just ways for us to also have a visual for what we're going to be going through scripturally. And we'll have that for the next few weeks as we go through our Lenten journey together. Uh, with that in mind, let me read to you from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 and uh, hear these words of our Lord. It says this in verse 30. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you be with us in this time we have together to reflect on your word? We thank you how you have met us through prayer and through worship. And now join us as we come to be your disciples, to learn to sit at your feet, to grow, um, to understand the ways in which you are working even now in our midst. And would you be with us to bless us, to encourage us, and to uh, give us your mercy and love so that we can continue to walk in your ways. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the first thing that I want to explore this morning is this idea of the kingdom of God. And I think one of the simple ways that we can talk about the idea of the kingdom of God is to say that it's not just human beings that have dreams. God has a dream. Uh, a dream for how the world should be and a dream for how we should be in the world. And one of the things that, reasons why we are drawn into this space, especially in the Lenten season, is to honestly assess uh, God's dream and humanity's dream and to, to view them and to see is there uh, a gap between these two dreams. And I think it's not hard for us as we uh, take an honest look to say, yes, there is some distance we still have between our dreams and God's dreams. And we can do that in part because we can feel in our minds, our souls, and our bodies just how far our chosen dreams for our life are away from God's dream for us. We just haven't quite got there yet. And so one of the things that we do in response to this understanding is that we hurt, we ache, we run away, we fight, we distract ourselves, we numb, we hide. Now, all of this, in some ways, is a response to this gulf, to this ravine, to this distance, um, this gap that we all feel. And so Lent is about closing this gap. 
And one of the ways that we try and do that is we choose a discipline, we choose something, some way in which we've been participating in this distraction, and we say, I'm going to stop doing that. Um, I'm going to intentionally uh, sacrifice, um, change my normal rhythm, in part and in large part, so that we can actually experience some of the grief that we may need to feel. Um, some of the ways in which we need to acknowledge that death is a part of life. Um, that actually death is a part of growth. The way we grow is through this journey that Jesus went on through death and then into resurrection. And so I encourage you, if you haven't uh, begun your Lenten journey yet, it's never too late um, to journey with us as we read the parables together and try and understand what is God's dream for us? What is God's dream for uh, the world? And how do we participate in God's dream? How do we get to a place where this gulf isn't so large between our dream and God's dream? Of course, this is important to note in light of our story uh, that we just read from the Gospel of Mark this morning. And one of the things that Jesus wants us to see is that this journey can start off really small. And it can be unassuming to the point where we can miss it if we're not careful. It can be easily missed. In fact, the people who first heard this story didn't really understand what it was all about. And so we need to pay close attention. And uh, also, I think we can note, as has been noted by Dave, that as the eyes of the world look on Ukraine and what is happening there in real time, all of the atrocities that are happening there and the evil that Vladimir Putin and the Russian armies are unleashing on the, their Ukrainian neighbors, uh, it, it begs the question, where is God? How do we locate God as we look upon war? And we might even ask the question, is this humanity's dream for itself? Is this what human beings desire for the world? These are good questions to ask when we look on real suffering and don't have easy answers for them. And one of the things that the scripture for us is actually some language to name the grief that we might experience. One of the great tools uh, that the scripture gives us can be found in places like Lamentations. This is a place where we see Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, name his grief and his lament. He says this in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. One way we may be able to sum up Jeremiah's poetic darkness here is to say that there are times where God can go underground for a season. That maybe the seasons where the gaps between our dreams and uh, God's dreams are so large that one of the only places that God could work is underground. Certainly on Holy Saturday, 
We see this in its fullest expression. And Jesus even describes Holy Saturday in John chapter 12, verse 34. He says this, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The seeds must be willing to go underground if they're going to produce many more seeds. If the mustard seed is going to grow into a great bush, into a great tree where uh, birds can rest in its shade and all types of life can uh, be generated, it must first go underground. Lent is where we reflect on this uncomfortable reality that we must, too, learn how to die. We must learn how to let our dreams die so that we can break. And then we will be able to join with God in his dream for humanity and make that dream a reality in the here and now. In part, this is necessary. Uh, It is very necessary to change the way in which we pace our lives to understand how real transformation happens, to understand the ways by which God changes us and not the ways in which we desire to fix this gap, this rift we feel. It's a wholly different kind of pace that God has. We as Westerners are so used to demanding what we want when we want it. And I don't know about you, but I can confess that there have been times when that refresh button on my Netflix where the, the internet is supposed to be working and it's just not working and the show I'm supposed to be watching is just not on and the anger that I feel at the fact that the internet is not working is extremely unhealthy. <laughs> I, I don't know how I got to that point where somehow now what I'm mad about because I don't have instant results is to a rage point that it should have never got to. And you can look upon the rest of history, and if they would look upon me in that moment, they would be like, are you serious? Uh, This is what you're mad about now? Uh, Imagine the the patience um, that we are losing because we are being given so much convenience and comfort and instant results at all times and how that shapes uh, our spirituality, how that shapes how we view God, how it shapes um, at what point we demand from God results in the, the ability to see external successes in our lives as we want to transform and in the world as we want it to transform. And we could probably all say that God isn't like you know, the drive through at McDonald's, uh, we would know that in our minds, but a lot of the ways in which we treat him is that way because we want results and we want them now. We want the world better and we want it now. We want a good marriage and we want it now. We want our kids to behave and we want it now. We want our wounds to be healed and we want it now. And we want the past to go away and we want it now and we want it now, God. We want it now. But if God doesn't work like a drive-through, then what does he work like? What is the way of God? We see the first answer to this question all the way back in the book of Genesis. 
where God uh, makes the earth and everything within it, and at the center, he puts a garden. And in that garden, he takes some dust, and he breathes on it, and he puts his image into it, and out of that divine act of creative love, he creates Adam and Eve, the first people. And he says to them, would you tend to my garden? Would you till the soil and plant the seeds, and I will make the sun shine, and I will make the rain, and we can tend to this dream together. In the opening pages of our Bibles, we see God wanting to partner with the first human beings. And in a way, that's a teaching to us that we too can look at our lives and our worlds and God's entrusting to us of this world in our area, in our little garden, that we can view it this way. We can view our lives as gardens, and there's ways by which in the garden that there's weeds that will grow up and encroach, and uh, we can go row by row, and we can slowly do the work of pulling up those weeds and trying to make the garden healthier. And God also gives us seeds, these gifts that we all have uh, that he's blessed us with to bring life and to generate new life into the world. Um, But we need to be willing to let those good seeds go into good soil. And the reality is, is that we can't make those seeds grow. Only God can do that. He provides the sun and he provides the rain. And so We might say that every morning there's a new invitation from God that goes like this. Do you want to work on the garden together? Do you want to work on this with me? These different places and spaces that need fixing or upkeeping. God's promise is that even when the land lies fallow, that the seed is still alive. It's just underground. Uh, Thomas Burton beautifully writes about this in the context of doing Christian ministry like this. He says this, Do not depend on the hope of results when you are doing the sort of work you have taken on, essentially an apostolic work. You may have to face the fact that your work will be apparently worthless and even achieve no results at all if not perhaps results opposite to what you expect. As you get used to this idea, you start, you start more and more to concentrate not on the results, but on the value, the rightness, the truth of the work itself. The real hope then is not in something we think we can do, but in God who is making something good out of it in some way we cannot see. If we can do God's will, we will be helping in this process, but we will not necessarily know all about it beforehand. We cannot name or understand all of the ways by which God is working in this moment as we see war stacked upon pandemic and we wonder why. This pressure is large, but the witness of our faith The teaching from Jesus here implies that we must never lose hope in the fact that when the seed is underground, it is still alive. The writer of Hebrews says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for 
an assurance about what we do not see. A great historical example of this teaching on faith uh, was given to me by my friend Dave Purick. Uh, we were talking this week about the liturgy, and I was trying to find a good story to end my sermon, didn't quite have it yet, and he was telling me what he was going to do, and I said, I think I need to steal that uh, for the sermon. <laughs> so thank you for that, Dave. Maybe some of you know the name. Uh, I knew the name, but not quite the story of Florence Nightingale. Um, and Florence Nightingale was uh, born into an affluent British family. But from a young age, she sensed a call by God uh, to be a nurse. Her parents did not want her to be a nurse. In, in her time, in the late 1800s, it was viewed as low status to be a nurse, and women were not supposed to be working. They were supposed to get married to somebody socially acceptable. And she actually turned down a husband in order to go off to train to become a nurse. And she became the first in her class and then eventually ended up in a hospital where she was managing many nurses to the point where uh, history writes about how she was uh, written to by the Secretary of War, Sidney Herbert, during the war in Crimea, which is taking place, uh, it, it, which took place in a similar area to what's going on in Ukraine right now. Uh, Nightingale rose to the calling. She went out with 34 nurses from different faith hospitals and uh, arrived to find desperate circumstances. History writes about it like this. It says, Although they had been warned of horrid conditions there, nothing could have prepared Nightingale and her nurses for what they saw. The hospital sat on a large cesspool which contained the water and the of the hospital building itself. Patients lay on uh, dirty stretchers strewn throughout the hallways. Rodents and bugs scurried past them. The most basic supplies, such as bandages and soap, uh, grew increasingly scarce as the number of ill and wounded steadily increased. Even water needed to be rationed. More soldiers were dying from infectious diseases like typhoid and cholera than from injuries incurred in battle. The no-nonsense Nightingale quickly set to work. She procured, procured hundreds of scrubs, brushes, and asked the least infirm patients to scrub the inside of the hospital from floor to ceiling. Nightingale herself spent every waking minute caring for the soldiers. In the evenings, she moved through the dark hallways carrying a lamp while making her rounds, ministering to patient after patient. Soldiers who were both moved and comforted by her endless supply of compassion took to calling her the lady with the lamp. Others simply called her the angel of Crimea. Her work reduced the hospital's death rate by two-thirds. When asked her perspective on how she could do this type of work, this is what she said. So never lose an opportunity of urging a practical beginning, however small, for it is wonderful how often in such matters the mustard seed germinates and roots itself. Jeremiah 
the crying prophet ends his lament in the most surprising way. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait for him. I heard a, pra- a, a, a preacher say recently that when the external world gets more hostile, the church must learn how to grow mercy in equal measure. So as we see the hostility grow, may God make us a merciful people. And may we remember that the Lord is our portion, no matter what is going on, that it is the Lord that is all we need, that we might trust in him and him alone, and that trust would allow us to wait like Jeremiah, who knew bitterness and gall and saw only darkness but yet could still call to mind the great faithfulness of his Lord in his time. And as we wait, may God break in and make his dreams our dreams. And may we become the type of people that can bring in this new reality, that can usher in this new kind of kingdom that he is bringing forth into the world. And so if you can't see it today, may you have great hope that God is working underground to make this beautiful kingdom a reality. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come today in faith to you, acknowledging that we can't always understand or see how you are working. And yet, Uh, There have been many, many faithful followers of you throughout history who have faced great challenges, who have known the darkness, and yet have chosen to be the light, who have chosen to be those full of mercy and compassion and love and care. Would you make us like those great saints? Would you... Uh, help us to stand uh, for your purposes and your kingdom and would you give us the energy and would you give us the compassion and love that is necessary Lord Jesus we thank you for uh, your sacrifice Lord Jesus that uh, is represented in the communion that we get to take together this morning Uh, may it become a practical sign to us of your providence and care for us through every season. And we pray more of your goodness and love and life for all the world enacted through us here at St. Andrews. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you